dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. I was really, I, like, I thought about you a lot after I watched this episode, and I was really disappointed that you missed out on it. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Well, I do know that the one emotion that comes to most people's minds when they think about me is, in fact, disappointment. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Hey, welcome back to Before the Dragon. Matt here with you. Thanks for joining me. It's my initial reaction to season one, episode three, second of his name, written by Gabe Finesca, I think is how you say that, and Ryan Condal, and directed once again, the same director from last episode, Greg Yatanis. Uh, not a Miguel episode i was surprised because of the battle at the end uh but i'm sure that miguel helped a little bit helped greg like plan this a little bit because it was just too awesome i'm gonna get right to that up top after i give my rating i'm giving this one a 9.5 out of 10 i know that's high but for me that's kind of low i can't give anything below a seven and i still had to you know at least leave a half a point for some headroom because we're just getting started in this series. And that last battle was so awesome. It kind of reminded me of other game of Thrones episodes where you had this kind of slow burn through most of the episode. And then you get a whole bunch of epicness at the end. I'm trying to think of the one that was really like that. Uh, perhaps it was uh hard hole was the episode in season five one that Miguel actually directed um, that seemed like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Anything going to happen? And then all of a sudden you get just, you know, 20 minutes of epicness, not quite as much in this particular episode, but still a lot of epicness at the end. There were two big headlines and then I'll get to talking about the rest of the story and I'll get the smaller one out of the way first. Uh, for me, the thing that probably hit me most and one of the stronger parts of the episode outside of the ending uh, was Viserys and Rhaenyra's talk. There was some great emotionally charged stuff there. There'd been a lot of things that had been building up over evidently two years and didn't need a single cue of music during that conversation. It was just great acting. Patty and Millie are continuing to just knock every scene that they do together completely out of the park. If you get the baseball reference there, it's just a home run every time. But the strongest scene, of course, was the Damon scene. Before I talk about that, though, I just want to say real quickly, you know, there was a lot of two years building up for Viserys to finally say to Rhaenyra, no, you're still the heir. I mean, that seemed a little anticlimactic, but it also felt very emotionally relieving to me. I found myself very emotional during that scene, and especially when he said that he swore on her mother's memory. I thought that that was, wow, I was just blown away by that. And the way that that whole sequence moved Rhaenyra also really got to me. Uh, I've got a lot to talk about as far as both of those are concerned a little bit later on. But without doubt, the big linchpin in this episode was the final, what, 11, 12 minutes, maybe 13, 15, I don't know. The, definitely the last part of the episode, all at the Stepstones, that was just magnificent. Um, 
you know, you have this kind of almost a kind of a mutiny within the Valarian family there. And Corley's kind of puts a qual to that. But then the message comes from Viserys that he's going to help, which we will talk a little bit more also. But you talk about killing the messenger. I mean, I know that this has been happening since the Roman times, but oh my, that that was just an amazing moment. And the the kind of the music that was creeping in as Damon was reading that and then just turned and started beating the heck out of that messenger. Unbelievable, unbelievably intense. And then as the music cue continues, because they'd been discussing, you know, how they can lure the crab feeder out. And he becomes the guy to do it. He has to do this. He has to do this without Viserys' help. Now he is being forged in fire by the fact that he can no longer, you know, whether he had ever asked for his brother's help or not, this he has to prove to his brother that he doesn't need him. And so they go to go ahead and go with Lenor's plan. That's uh, Corley's son who suggests that they, they kind of draw him out in that way. And he he becomes the guy who gives himself up. And, and more or less, he feels like he's going to his death. Uh, but <laughs> it's Damon. He's got that instinct to survive. And it was amazing. And that music cue from the time, really, from the time that he starts beating the messenger all the way through the rowing of the boat and then to the surrender, we've never heard anything like that from Ramin in the world of Westeros before. I'm sure he's done cues like that for other series, but that was amazing. You can bet that that's going to be one of the focuses of my musical analysis this week, for sure. Perhaps my only focus this week. But, I mean, that just made this show completely different from Game of Thrones in the timbres and the sound, I mean, the sounds and the feel and everything. I think there was even a little bit of slight bit of piano in it, but I absolutely loved that cue. That was one of the most refreshing things I've heard out of the series musically in a long time. And then, of course, it goes to the next level when it becomes a battle, when it's a ploy. Uh, and I just screamed, holy bleep. I mean, to me, this battle was ever bit as good as Hard Home. Um, it really beat everything in the long night simply because you couldn't see anything in the long night in season eight. And him just taking on everything that the crab feeder throws against him, even though he takes some arrows in the process, but him just standing up to everything in order to give Lanor time to get in position on a dragon a different dragon it's not Caraxes. it's not any dragon that we've seen before uh lanor is riding a dragon and commanding that dragon to you know kill the enemy but what is that dragon where did that dragon come from why does lanor get to ride it because he's valarian they're sea folk. They were never dragon lords. Although remember that Lenor is Corlys and Rainey's son. So he does have a little bit of Targaryen blood in him. I think that we're going to find out that that dragon's name is Sea Smoke, but I'm not for certain. Um, that's using book knowledge. So I don't want to say anything more than that. 
Uh, whatever this dragon's name is, it certainly kicked butt. Lenor kicked butt on it. This battle was just so good. I love the whole idea of Damon just going around and taking on everything by himself. It reminded me so much of the Battle of the Bastards when Jon Snow was left standing alone as all of the horses were coming at him in that particular battle. I mean, nothing was quite that, you know, slow motion epic in that way, but just the idea of him buying time to get all of the armies in place, to get Lenor in place with the dragon was just beautiful. And that battle was glorious. I love some good moments there from Corlys being really menacing. All of the, the battling was very top notch. And then you have Damon seeing the crab feeder go into the cave. And he goes in after him. And I'm glad we didn't get to see any of that. It made it so dramatically effective to see him, you know, see the crab feeder go into this, the cave and then to see Damon emerge from that cave and he's dragging something with him. And then as he's dragging it across the water, you see, it's like the half torso it's like a half body hell it's a half torso i mean i don't even think all of the torso was there it looked like it had been sliced sliced kind of diagonally it was super fantastic just a great moment i love stuff like that when i'm in the moment i you know this battle won't mean anything to me in two days time but just watching it on tv once absolutely it totally lifted my score up because there were some other things that i kind of had a problem with in this episode leading up to that, but it just, it made it so it didn't matter. It made it so nothing else mattered. I, I know that there's been a lot of complaints about not having humor in the episodes, but I, there were a couple moments this time around of humor in the episode as well. I mean, in that opening sequence uh, with uh, Damon and Caraxes, um and that one guy is saying, Oh, save me, save me. And then Caraxes just squashes him. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. If you didn't think that was funny, okay, that's fine. But you're weird because I thought that that was really funny. Also, I really loved Kristen Cole's little joke uh, when Rhaenyra was complaining about, was it was it about the Lannister that she was complaining about? And, uh, and Kristen Cole says, you want me to kill him? I, I just thought that was great. And I loved all of that. One thing I do want to point out here right off the top that's really been bugging me for the last two weeks is all these people pointing out these looks between Maesters and Otto and all of this stuff. The guy's lost two fingers now. That means that they're not willing to get the let the rot get to a point where it's going to kill Viserys. So will you please, people, stop saying that Maesters want to kill the king? This has nothing to do with some kind of conspiracy that book readers have come up with for a story that's 200 years in the future of this one. So please just stop. Or if you want to keep doing it, fine. You can tweet at me at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. You can send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com, or you can leave comments on the website post Matt's or leave comments in the YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, Please leave a comment down there the way you find the YouTube. And we'd love it if you'd subscribe, if you'd hit likes on our videos as well. Uh, just search for the word before the Dragon Podcast on YouTube. And we will be happy to include 
any feedback that you give us, even when you're calling me crazy, I especially like it when people call me crazy. Nonetheless, let's move on to more things about this episode. Speaking of the half body that is now the crab feeder, uh, he did have a name, evidently, and he was a prince, a Prince Drahar. And I don't know if that was mentioned in the first episode or not. Uh, Kragas, I think, is his first name, but I don't know if they said that. But we definitely heard that guy who ended up being, you know, a little smush under Caraxes's foot, call him Prince Drahar. Something that did bother me, and I understand this is one of the biggest time jumps that we've ever had in any Westeros television show history, right? Like, this is like three years of a jump, almost. If not a full three years jump, it, then it's very close to. But I don't need to be told seven times through dialogue that it's been three years. Um, I would have easily just have taken a little title card saying three years after previous events or whatever, and I'd have been fine with that. I don't need Otto to tell me that Allison's son is two years old. I don't need um, his brother to say the same thing at the hunt. I don't need Viserys to say, it's been three years. I mean, literally to say it. That kind of bothers me. Don't include it in the dialogue, Mr. Condal. We don't, we don't need that. Give us a little title card. Let's move on. But again, that's my opinion. If you have a different opinion, feel free to tweet me, to email me or whatever. Uh, I'm perfectly happy to field your comments about that, even when you're calling me stupid. Also, I just want to say that when we get into this episode, there's a lot of things to th think about as far as Rhaenyra is concerned. Um, she's still quite cold with both her father and Alicent. Um, and I think there's reason to be. The hunt is for Aegon. Viserys, while he has not, you have to admit, he has not given Rhaenyra any kind of indication that she will not be continue to be the heir. But he is trying to marry her off. And so I can see how Rhaenyra would, you know, construe that and think that uh, she's no longer the heir. Uh, here, again, in that scene that I talked about up front, he makes it quite clear that she still is the heir. And uh, so a lot of Rhaenyra's machinations through this episode, while realistic to the, that point until they have that conversation, seemed a little bit unnecessary in the long run of the story. But I'm not a writer, so don't tell him, you know, don't listen to me on that. Now, we did have Lord Lannister, our first Lannister in this time period and in this series. He doesn't quite have the lady skills as his uh, future down-the-line offsprings, great-great-great-whatevers. Uh, he, he, he certainly uh, just doesn't have the thing um, that we associate with the Lannisters being so clever and also so wonderfully rich and whatever else well the rich part i suppose he does have it but um nothing else nothing that would appeal to rhaenyra and he's kind of a liar as we find out anyway because he talks about how great that honey wine is that he serves rhaenyra but as soon as she hands it back to him and walks off he just pitches it so it must not be worth that much i mean if he was truly 
uh, a miser who poops gold but doesn't want all of that gold to get away and that wine was that valuable, he wouldn't just toss it out. Okay, maybe I'm being a little overreactive. But at that point, this is one of those things that fuels Rhaenyra into thinking that she's no longer the heir because she's just being, you know, courted by this guy. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, she takes it out on her father and he is not having any bit of it either. He's way gets way into his cups later in the episode as well. Um, It's funny also musically speaking that Ramin is still using that Prince that was promised theme that was in on the piano in the first episode. He's just using it more cleverly and more orchestratedly. Um, like I think it was when they were arriving at the hunt that you heard it. I can't remember exactly where I'll point it out in my musical uh, analysis that you'll get on Thursday. I know when it was, it was when Rhaenyra was riding off after her father tells her that she must marry uh, and Kristen Cole has to go off of off after her. That's when we heard that, uh, that little bit of a theme. And speaking of that, what really invested me in Kristen Cole really quickly, this episode and in his relationship with Rhaenyra was how economical it was. Remember again, three years have passed. He seems to be the principal king's guard who is protecting her now probably by her choice because we've seen no sparks there before but nonetheless i think it was very economical that joke um the way that they talked about his station and her station in life um and just wonderfully demonstrated you know that they are of course protector and protectee but they are also not confidence perhaps, but at least friendly. And I really got involved in that relationship. Uh, Again, it was very economically demonstrated. I thought it was wonderful the way that they did that. Now, when you get to the boar scene, I mean, wow, that was really well done. Uh, I loved that particular boar sequence I thought that that was the most realistic looking animal that they had to CGI uh, in the whole episode. I'll get to some of that here in just a little bit too. But uh, the fact that it came back to life shocked the heck out of me or really just kind of recovered a little bit from Kristen Cole's stab and started to go after Rhaenyra again. But then all of that anger, that pent up anger, just pouring out of Rhaenyra as she's taking that, as she's finishing that bore off and the way that the blood just ended up all over her face and, uh, and in her hair and everything else, it was really, really disturbing to me in a way, because it didn't, it wasn't really so much about the blood or the gore or any of that. I'm fine with that really, uh, as, at least as far as this scene goes, what bothered me was the symbolism that that represented. That when Rhaenyra is angry, she can be so vicious that she ends up covered in blood. I mean, is this foreshadowing her tendencies? Are we seeing the seeds of what we might see later on? Maybe not. Maybe it's just to show that she was really angry uh, and this anger had been pent up in her for a long time and she was finally starting to release it. Well, not totally. She's still quite cool with everybody even after that happens but she needed to get some of that anger out somehow and she took it out on a 
uh, boar, which, you know, everybody gets pork sandwiches at the end of the day. And that's all fine with with me. Now, the boar, I thought was fine. The whole idea of this CGI stag and the CGI white heart totally bothered me. Um, they were just bad, guys. I mean, for both Viserys and Rhaenyra. And I can't apologize for that. I can only just condemn it. I was personally hoping that they had had to produce the pilot so quickly so that they could get it out to premieres and everything that, you know, that was one of the reasons why I was seeing lines and dragons or whatever, but this was just bad animation. Um, the, the shapes didn't look that great. I mean, it's tough. Maybe they're trying to prove to us why they didn't do dire wolves in game of Thrones. It's like doing real animals is tough. Even if you're just blowing up regular wolves into dire wolves, it's hard. I give these artists credit for doing what they could do for, you know, the best that they could do for this stuff. But man, it was just some of the distant shots um, looked worse than the close up shots. And that's what usually it's the other way around for me. But some of the distant shots were just awful. Some of the, the angles, everything, it just looked so unnatural that it really, really bothered me. And I probably would have rated it even a, a decimal point or two higher if it hadn't been for this. And I hate to be Mr. Nitpicky or whatever, but it, it really took me out of some of those scenes. And those scenes were very powerful in a lot of ways. And it's I, I couldn't experience them. I feel like the way I was supposed to experience them. In fact, I'm sure that uh, when Condol and and Gabe did the writing for this. They saw this stuff as being really important. But my suggestion to anybody who writes for this show is stay away from that stuff as much as possible. Find a way to get your symbolism in, in some other way, because man, um, the technology either isn't there or the money isn't being spent or the visual effects. People just aren't capable. One of the way you got to you got to solve it in some way. And the easiest way to solve it is just to not write that kind of stuff in. Again, I get the symbolism here was very, very important. But the symbolism gets lost if you're sitting there going, why did they do that? If you're sitting there going, am I watching Game of Thrones? Am I watching House of the Dragon or am I watching an episode of BBC's Merlin? That's what it felt like to me was that 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 level of CGI was that bad. Please feel free to disagree with me. I'm totally cool with that. I hope that you're totally cool with me saying what I'm going to say, because you really don't have any choice. If you're here listening, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I'm giving you the choice to respond back if you wish. As far as that stuff goes with the stags and whatever, uh, Otto using the white stag is a way to try to convince Viserys to make Aegon the heir. I mean, smart play. Absolutely a smart play. But what a jerk. Every opportunity. And then the audacity of the whole betrothal proposal that Otto offers Viserys later on. Aegon and Rhaenyra. I mean, how preposterous is it, would that sound to Viserys right then? 
in the long run, probably good for House Targaryen in a lot of ways, simply because it, you know, it kind of ends the need to declare a an heir as Otto is trying to do. Uh, instead, you know, it's staying in the family. However, if Rhaenyra gets married and becomes the heir, then the High Towers are basically out. You know, they're they're just they're not as important of a, in in ruling after Viserys dies. So that's I understand why Otto's doing it, but. God, uh, the audacity of it sometimes really gets me. None of it works on the on the king, of course. So instead, he goes back to his daughter, tries to use her again. And that is just as disgusting to me now as it was the first time in the first episode. As far as Allison goes, I mean, I really like the way that Emily Carey is doing this. You can see now that even now, um, she's still very uncomfortable with her father's suggestions when he suggests things like this. Emily Carey's doing a very good job of expressing that. And I actually really like her relationship with Viserys, and I especially liked her shifting the talk about, you know, about errors and everything like her father sent her to do, uh, and instead uh, shifting it to Damon and the Stepstones. And really, the smartest thought. I mean, what does it matter what's between you and your brother? What's best for the realm? Uh, and when it's put like that, then clearly Damon needs to do what he did. Even or clearly Viserys needs to do what he did, even though Damon didn't really accept it. He didn't want it. Didn't accept it. And as for Viserys himself, I mean, he's getting in his cups in this episode, especially at the hunt. Um. I really, really did like Lionel Strong's advice. I, I thought that his advice to marry Rhaenyra and Lenor was a really good one because that is mended up. Uh, I think that one of our panelists suggested it last week that that was one of the things that they could have done rather than basically pissing Corlys off by just saying, no, 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 I don't want your daughter. Uh, instead, um, this seems like it would be a good match. And I hate this. I know Rhaenyra hates it. I know everybody in the world hates it. Uh, if you have any kind of modern sensibilities, these kinds of political arranged marriage and everything, which do still happen, um, just not quite as auspiciously as, uh, as it was in olden times or as it is in fantasy stories. I mean, I hate it too, but if you're going to live in this world, then I think that Lionel Strong's is a really good suggestion, and Viserys should li listen to him if he's going to have anything to do with it. Now, at the end of the uh, him and Rhaenyra scene, at towards the end of the whole King's Landing stuff, he does say, you marry who you want. So that's really the best decision, is it not? Uh out of all of them, but if you have to take a suggestion, then I think Lionel Strong's suggestion was a, a really good one. So Otto is hoping that the White Heart will be captured by Viserys and killed by Viserys, um, showing it as a sign that Aegon should be the heir. But the White Heart actually shows up near Rhaenyra, and she chooses not to kill it. 
So in both cases, does this mean that Aegon and Rhaenyra, as long as we're going to be forced to look at symbolism through bad CGI, then I'm going to analyze it. Does this mean the fact that Rhaenyra wouldn't kill the White Stag and Viserys never had access to it, that neither of these heirs, Aegon or Rhaenyra, is a good, proper fit if you're going to go by Otto's explanation. On the other hand, what Viserys does get with the other stag is something that reminded me a heck of a lot of season two Theon, especially when he executed uh, Sir Rickard in uh, Winterfell. Uh, just really sloppy, couldn't do it cleanly. I mean, granted, the guy was hung over, right? So, I mean, I don't know that I could have done it if I was still drunk from the night before, practically falling into a fire the way Viserys was, uh, which I want to talk about that dream real quick also, because I believe that's another sign. But here he's just, it's another symbol of Viserys's ineptness, perhaps. Um, not, I think that he's just trying to live up to his, Jaharis's reputation and, uh, you know, the, the prior king who had 60 years of peace. How do you live up to that? You know, uh, so there's always been a lot of pressure on Viserys from moment one, but this felt very Theon to me. Um, not about it being wrong, just about the fact that uh, it was just so clumsy and so, again, inept just made me think, you know, what does this say about Viserys as a ruler symbolically as well? And the, he also had that dream while he was getting drunk so that he could be hung over to kill that stag. Or he was telling Alicent about that dream where he had seen a boy king with Aegon's crown. Well, here you go. You've got an Aegon and uh, a boy who could potentially be an heir, even though Viserys is still quite steady in saying that Rhaenyra is still the heir, but he's questioning himself about whether he should have done that because he had that dream and he's the one who told Rhaenyra about the fact that Targaryens have these dreams. We know that dreams actually were the ones that brought them from Valyria and saved them from the doom of Valyria. Dreams are important to Targaryens. And so he had this dream. And so now he's starting to question. And part of it's just so that it can set up this final scene where he tells Rhaenyra, you know, you're still the heir, uh, but it, it still seems pretty powerful. It seems like uh, he's a person who's just caught in between so many places that there's just nowhere that he can land where he can't hurt somebody. I, I think he even expresses that at some point in this episode. So I think that, you know, all of this stag stuff and the dream stuff and whatever is meant to be just super symbolic not really to tell us what's going to happen but to give us a potential of what could happen I, and you know i've read these stories so i'm enjoying to see how little seeds are laid or whatever till we get to other stuff later on um, i'm not going to say what any of this really says i'm just asking the questions for you guys to ask if you're TV only people, I think I've talked about everything that I want to talk about. So that being said, 
I do have a couple of more things to offer. I want to give you my three words and my brothel mates. Let's do three words first. My three words for this particular episode is name that dragon. I mean, what dragon was that that Lenor was riding? I'm pretty sure it was Lenor. So who was he riding? What's the name of that dragon? I think it might be Sea Smoke is the name that we might get. But, I mean, your guess is as good as mine right now. Nonetheless, name that dragon because that was the big moment that kind of turned the tide of everything. And we knew the plan was going to be executed but uh that was the moment that was like you might you thought they might actually succeed in getting rid of this crab feeder so uh name that dragon is my three words for this time around as for my brothel mates Uh, Damon Targaryen and Grayscale Experimentation. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is, is that if someone is part rock, can you still cut through them? Which part did Damon cut through? I couldn't really tell. If he didn't cut through the Grayscale part, that means he was holding it and he was dragging it. So does Damon now have Grayscale? Grayscale Experimentation. He's got to find out how much you can cut through that rock in order to get through to the man and clean it, cut him clean in half, not so clean in half in Damon's case. Uh, so Damon and grayscale experimentation. Uh, that's my best coupling for this particular episode. See, it doesn't necessarily always have to be two people, although you could technically say it was Damon and the crab feeder this time around, but it's really not. It's Damon and the fact that he had to find out where he could slice the crab feeder through. Uh, therefore, he was experimenting with grayscale. Ha, ha, ha. But if you want to come up with two people, perhaps you think that Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole make a good coupling this particular episode. They struck me as great. Perhaps you think that Allison and Viserys made a good couple in this episode. That's fine, too. Maybe you think that uh, White Stags and the, you know, the heir to the throne make a good coupling. It doesn't always have to be two people. It doesn't have to be two objects. It can be whatever mix you want. So I want to hear yours. In fact, if you will send me your three words and your brothel mates, best coupling, by Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time, then you will be included in our Thursday podcast that we put out with a full panel where people who are much smarter than me and much more eloquent speakers talk about game of thrones see i can't even call it the right thing house of the dragon uh much better than i do and you get to hear their excellent thoughts while i just kind of steer the ship a little bit and play silly games and do that kind of thing so i want you to join us on thursday I want you to submit your three words and your brothel mates by Tuesday and any feedback that you have. Please submit any thoughts that you have. It can be a lot. It can be a, just a little. You can put it in the form of a tweet at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, or you can put it in the form of a long email 
to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com, or somewhere in between or either uh, at the website, mattsaudioblog.com. Just comment in those posts and we will pick them up as well and share them. Also, uh, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. And of course, if you're getting our content via YouTube, we would love it if you would subscribe, if you would like videos, if you like them. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to put a thumbs up on something that you don't like. Uh, I would ask you, please don't give us the thumbs downs. We don't like the thumb downs very much. But, I mean, if that's really the way you feel about it, who am I to stop you? Nonetheless, if you will subscribe and do those things for us at the YouTube, leave your comments there if you wish. Search for the word before and then the dragon podcast on YouTube. And hopefully we will see you there as well. Wow. I've rambled and rambled and rambled and rambled. And that's all I got. I'll see you on Thursday with a panel that talks better than me. Bye.